Well, have you come down from your high yet? I, I know that I definitely haven't because March Madness this past weekend was fantastic. So great that we had to take an entire day to digest what happened before we recorded this podcast episode. Welcome back. This is The Review. I'm your humble host, Brendan Hodges. We're going to skip all the formalities today because we have a lot to talk about and 40 minutes to talk about it all without having to pause our recorded Zoom and send it to a next one. So I'll introduce our guest today. First of all, Matt Majinski back as he usually is off of a hella long drive back from Hoboken because that was the only place that he really like puts the little Snapchat geo filters on. And then coming to us live from a place that's very excited right now, uh, Kansas, that will eventually be very disappointed. Uh, He's got work later today, so that's why he's waking up with us early this morning. It is Ariel Putterman, first time back on the the show this season, which is is surprising. At least I think it's his first time back. Um, Welcome to both of you. Sweatshirt gang today, along with long sleeve, like, gray shirt, because... We're semi-formal, semi-formal, semi-casual, and nothing was semi-formal or semi-casual about this past weekend, guys. Uh, Open conversation today. Uh, We're going to start with what we saw this past weekend with the tournament, and a lot of it was, I would say, expected by most of us. One seed did go down in the second round. I think we all had that happening for the most part. We saw some major upsets that none of us thought would happen, which we'll discuss a little bit later. And now we have a sweet 16. And we'll look at that in like 20 or so minutes. For now, though, I want to start with the teams at the top, the one seeds that we all like. I would be interested in finding out how many people have picked Gonzaga to win this year because they basically went wire to wire as a top tier team. You look at the talent they have. And so far it's been less than a spectacle for them. You know, they've been taken down to the wire or like been really close against teams that have either lesser talent or are just playing harder than them or executing better than them twice now. And they haven't gotten to the guys that are going to be like, a real challenge. I mean, they have Arkansas and I don't, for, I don't foresee that being so much of a challenge, but you never know because Arkansas is the last sec team. I know I disrespected them in the Instagram live a couple of days ago, forgetting they were part of the sec. Um, but yeah, Gonzaga has not looked all that impressive and I don't feel very good about them being my pick for a championship right now. Like you said, Gonzaga has been having a couple tough tests. Um, they were tied with Georgia State late into the second half, which was a little bit surprising. And then Memphis actually had their number for the first half. Um, it was only until Drew Timmy really took over in the second half that they were able to do any kind of run. So obviously this isn't the Gonzaga team we saw last year who just dominated from the start. Um, they still have the talent. They have Nemhard, Drew Timmy, of course, Chet Holgram. But the good news for them is if they make it out of their reach and they've got a cakewalk to the national championship, In the East region, we've already seen the one seed Baylor lose. We've seen the two seed um, Kentucky lose. And so it'll pretty much be Purdue if they beat St. Peter's, UCLA, or North Carolina. And I think that's a very favorable Final Four. Um, I think they match up well with any of those teams. The question is, can they make it there? You know, Duke and Texas Tech are both really talented teams. Um, Duke's got, of course, it's Coach K's last run. He's not going to go without a fight. Um, He's got a lot of talent, a lot of first potential first-rounders, Paolo Banchero. Uh, A.J. Griffin, Trevor Keels, and then that Texas Tech team is really sneaky. Uh, they got a lot of great defenders, a lot of great all-around players, Bryson Williams, Kevin McCullough, Terrence Shannon. So if they can make it out of the region, they're, I would say they're a national championship lock, but first they have to make it. And we know it's March. Anything could happen. Who knows? Even Arkansas can beat them. We saw what they did at the end of uh, regular season play. They knocked out teams like Auburn, who obviously underperformed in the tournament. Um, they beat Kentucky earlier, or no, sorry, they didn't beat Kentucky, but, uh, oh no, they did beat Kentucky, sorry, and then uh, t- teams like Tennessee, so Arkansas, they can get streaky, they got a lot of talent in J.D. Note, uh, Jalen Williams has really showed out, I think Gonzaga has a great path to the national championship game, but they'll have a couple good tests in between. No, Ariel, I agree with you right there, because 
Um, Gonzaga, the, I think when you look at the one seeds, the Zags obviously throwing Baylor out of the way because they lost. And again, I think that's the one one seed we all sort of saw coming given the injuries coming into this tournament. Um, that they had. I mean, it's not well, given the injuries and who they were playing in that round too. give North Carolina credit. They, that scoreline was only that close because Brady Manick got thrown out of the game. Oh, right, right, right. And, and trust me, I think North Carolina is an underrated team. They are no eight seed, but I, I think even if Marquette had beaten North Carolina, which was not even close to happening, I still think Marquette would have given Baylor trouble. It's just not easy playing without two really important starters. Um, through the first weekend, you know, you don't have a lot of time to prepare for that. But um, when you look at the rest of the one seeds, I thought Kansas took care of business. Um, they still were tested, but they took care of business easier, especially in round one. Um, Arizona struggled in round one a little bit. They had a single digit lead fairly late into that game, sort of mid second half, which as a one seed, you're just like, okay, like, can we get up 15? Like, when's this going to happen? Gonzaga was losing late in the second half. I mean, no one expected that. And I don't think a lot of people even expected their next game against Memphis. I feel like people thought, okay, when are the, when's Gonzaga going to pull away? Is it going to be now? Is it going to be now? And, and you know, it kept going on and on until they finally closed that game out. So to me, it's just you're the number one overall seed and you haven't looked like it, but that's also how this whole season has gone. Being number one hasn't meant that you're a tier above number two. It just means that you're the team that just happened to win a couple of games in a row and the voters have to put someone at number one. Um, with all that being said, I do agree with you there on, on that point. I think Arkansas is a great team. They're going to give them uh, some trouble, but Gonzaga has closed out two straight games. I think they're going to get stuff clicking more and more, and uh, the path to the national championship game is still there. Well, closing out games, certainly something you have to do in the tournament. And I don't think any team showed how to do it better this past weekend than the Houston Cougars. And that's the reason why I put them in my final four at the start. And there's a reason for that. They're an experienced team. They're a physical team. The way they contained Kofi Coburn for a majority of that game in the round of 32 was amazing to watch and the effort and the hustle that guys were putting in different guys, making different plays early in the game, middle of the game, late of the game. And it was a close game for a long time. And then they just pulled away in the last two minutes. It was a sight to see. And I, that's why I think Arizona is the most vulnerable one seed this weekend at the start of the weekend. And why I think that Houston may not be like a hundred percent locked to get through this side of the bracket, this quadrant into the final four, but at least be a viable contender. Like, I don't think there's any doubt they're going to beat Arizona. That's how confident I am. In that. Yeah. I have to agree with you. I mean, a lot of people wrote Houston off. Um, they had a lot of big injuries at the beginning of the season and they really didn't look that impressive in a really weak conference. Um, if you look at their resume, if you ignore analytics, um, they really weren't that great. They had a couple not great win, uh, not great losses. Um, it was really the analytics that was carrying them. They were top 10 in offense and defense a lot of the year. And people can say it's because they played weak teams, but clearly that, sh that this past two games have shown that that's not the case. They play as a team. They're really well coached. Kelvin Sampson's an unbelievable coach. What he's done to that program, what he's going to continue to do that program is very impressive. And yeah, they did. I think chemistry wins in March. We see that's why Villanova is so, so successful every year. Even last year when they lost Gillespie and a lot of people were writing them out, they still made the Sweet 16. I think it's very similar to Houston. They all play together. They all want to win together. Um, no ego there. Everyone wants to play through each other. And that's what wins games, especially in March. It's not about talent. It's about chemistry. And that's why, you know, Arizona plays that the same way. I love their energy. Every time they do anything, the team really hypes each other up. Matherin, uh, Dale and Terry, Kirk Risa. But with Houston, they just have guys who do it all. Fabian White's been awesome. Kyler Edwards, the transfer from Texas Tech, he's been incredible too. They, they just have a different guy who can step up in any situation, and that's what makes them so dangerous. Now, can they beat Arizona? Absolutely. Will they? That I don't know. I think uh, Arizona – they need a, What they need is a guy to step up to tell Kelvin Sampson to keep his shirt on next time. I mean, Jesus. Hey, it was, oh. it was Charles Barkley or Kelvin Sampson, so I don't think any <laughs> – public is complaining about that that is a very good point that's a very good point <laughs> um chemistry right there that's the key to me ariel um i think you hit it right on the dot i mean 
this Houston team loses Tremont Mark and Marcus Sasser for the season, I started to write them off because same thing as Baylor. You lose two really important players. In college sports, it's tougher because it's not the NBA. You don't have free agency to go pick up someone else. You can't make a trade midseason. I know this transfer portal is wild, but it's not like you can just say, hey, can we get this guy on this team? Come over here. We need someone to replace him. No, it means someone off a limited bench needs to step up and make things work. And Houston did not fold. They had a little bit of a rough patch at the end of the American uh, conference season. That's going to happen to almost every team. And I think a lot of people started to doubt them. And I think now we're looking at this Houston team and we're saying, how are they a five seed? They ran through their conference, which isn't a bad conference by any means. They are playing like a three three or four seed right now, to be quite honest with you. Um, and they're going to have a chance to knock off this Arizona team. Again, I'm sort of in a mix between both of you guys. I don't know if they will, but I do know that right now it's silly to doubt Houston because they keep proving everyone wrong. And uh, they've looked pretty darn good through these first two games, um, especially – given the expectations or maybe the low expectations that a lot of people had about these Cougars, um, man, Fabian White, Josh Carlton, there are some boys on this team that can really play basketball and they're going to give Arizona all the Wildcats can handle, which is saying something because Arizona obviously got all the candle can handle from TCU. And I think we can all agree that Houston is even more talented and, and much more, uh, you know, that chemistry than even that TCU team who has a lot of that themselves. You know, guys, it's not often you see two double-digit seeds playing each other in the Sweet 16. As we transition to the Midwestern quad from the bracket, you have Iowa State, who has a budding star on their team, let me just say, and I'll let you guys explain that a bit more, against a very experienced team and a very energetic and just fast team and wildly entertaining team that reflects where they're from in the Miami Hurricanes. Both of those teams, one of those teams is going to have to win. Whichever one does is going to give either Kansas or Providence, which is going to be a fantastic game, by the way, fits. Like legitimate fits. And we've already seen both of those teams have like legitimate problems to deal with over the course of this tournament so far. So we'll focus more on that double-digit seed game because the Kansas-Providence one speaks for itself. Who wins Iowa State-Miami? Why do they win it? And how much of a problem did they give either Kansas or Providence later on in the Elite Eight? Yeah, I think Miami wins this one by about four or five. I have to give credit to Iowa State. I mean, two wins last year, worst in all of the Power Five, Power Six conferences, they bring in a whole new team, new coach, new everything. And look at them. They're in the Sweet 16. I think St. Peter's gets a lot of rep, deservedly so, uh, because of obviously their amazing story. But what Iowa State has done is unbelievable. Um, however, I think Miami is just more talent. Uh, we see Isaiah Wong, Charlie Moore. He does everything right. You just see some things he does. It's like, wow, like, how does he always make that perfect play? How does he always make that perfect pass? How does he always make that perfect shot? They just have a lot of talent. Um, they have more experience in coaching with Jim Laranega compared to TJ Otzelberger. But I think Iowa State will get in the challenge. They have good defense. It's the offense that's a little bit concerning. Um, Isaiah Brockington's a great player, but he can't be the only one scoring. I think Miami has a versatile options with Long, uh, McGusty, Wonderberg at the big. Um, so I think they win it. Um, but I don't think Iowa State will let them get too far ahead. I think they'll keep it close throughout. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I, I think then when you look at Iowa State's, um, again, first off, great season. I mean, and obviously this can go even more. Just because we picked Miami doesn't mean, you know, we're just picking them. I mean, Iowa State is not done yet. They yeah, for those of you listening to this after we record, we are in no way experts. We just act like it to make it a little more entertaining and a little more hilarious for you guys when we're wrong. That's true. I mean, literally – all the experts get stuff wrong. That's the reason it's March Madness. That's the reason that people had Kentucky winning it all and they lose to the team from Jersey City. Um, Iowa State, though, I think they just are a little bit too inexperienced um, against this Miami team. And I understand that Wisconsin had a very experienced player in Brad Davison. Iowa State w was able to get past them. But 
the overall Wisconsin team is still a little bit young when you look at Johnny Davis, when you look at Stephen Crowell. I mean, you know, not a real senior-heavy team. Um, and obviously in that first game against LSU, kind of the same thing. And then we realized after the fact that LSU probably wasn't even, uh, you know, ready for that game, giving everything that was going on behind the scenes as uh, um, Will Wade, um, you know, is gone as coach. So I think right now Iowa State might meet their match. Um, it's a Miami team that's also playing very hot. It's a Miami team that I think, like a couple of the other ACC teams, people weren't high on them because the ACC as a conference was down. But now you're looking and you're saying, okay, well, Miami themselves, they were actually a really good team. Um, like you mentioned, Charlie Moore, literally a sixth-year guard. I don't think he's going to let this moment. He's end. been, like, literally to every coast. Yeah. He's no, been across he's the country. Him. Like, yeah. Um, and, and, again, Coach Larinaga, he can do it all. Just this entire Miami team, I just like the makeup of them. And then the one thing that I don't like about Iowa State is the turnovers. They average about 14 turnovers a game compared to Miami's 10. And I think that the fact that Miami is also a senior, you know, a much more experienced team means that already they are less turnover prone and given that experience might even be able to make it more of a difference in the game. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking at, but Hey, you never know because Iowa state's defense, you know, they've been playing pretty well. So that could also negate it a little bit, but I look at it as, okay, I think the hurricanes will win, but like you said, it'll be a close one. Iowa State's giving me really big Michigan vibes in a similar situation up in the other part of the bracket, all but against a better team. Michigan turns the ball over a lot. They'll probably lose because of that. This game may not be decided on that between Miami and Iowa State solely because they're teams that are ranked similarly in this tournament, albeit like completely different rosters. By the way, Isaiah Wong, candidate for dunk of the tournament after going after the guy who had the dunk of the tournament, the round before, unbelievable play. Unbelievable. Uh, the other matchup, Kansas-Providence. Providence and Kansas have both been – they've played really well in both games, and they've had to. Providence got a scare from South Dakota State, then they blew out Richmond. Kansas blew out Texas Southern, then had a scare against Creighton. Um, real quickly here, uh, I know you're picking RL, so I'm not even going to go to you. You, know, you think Kansas is going to win. Matt, what does Providence have to do? to win this game? Well, they're going to have to keep defending, and that's just going to be really, really tough. But if I see there's one matchup that they could exploit, it's going to be down low. Uh, they've got to control the boards and get Nate Watson his own because I don't think that it, that this Providence team is really going to be able to shut down both Ochai Baji and Jalen Wilson and this entire Kansas team that I think has so many great guards and wings. The one thing they might be able to exploit is the Nate Watson versus David McCormick matchup. Even then, it's going to be difficult. Um, but I look at Nate Watson as, okay, can he go out and get a 20-10 and 10 game, a double-double game, give Providence the edge on, edge on the boards? But I think that this is Kansas's game. I mean, we've been saying it all year long. This Providence team has been a very lucky team. Ken Palm literally had them as the luckiest team in college basketball history. I didn't know Providence that was a stat. Yeah. Providence has tossed that out the window and they have won these two games, but they've been two double digit seeds. So again, you look at the luck, they got the luck of the draw. Now Providence took care of business. So I can't say anything about that. I mean, people at Iowa in the final four and Richmond beat them and Providence took care of Richmond. Wasn't even close. So Friars, you know, they're at least saying, Hey, we're taking care of business right now, but can you take care of business against who I think is the one seed that's been playing the best in this tournament? It's going to be a lot. It's not, it's not going to be one thing. I know I point to one thing, but it's almost one of those games where it's going to have to be multiple facets of the game that Providence controls, and that's going to be hard. Ariel, thumbs up, thumbs down. Remy Martin, the X factor in this game. Um, I'll give thumbs up and say a little bit. Um, I think coming to the season, Remy Martin and Marcus Carr were in the same territory where – they were going to be the guys that were going to push their respective teams above the rest and send them to the final four. And neither really was able to do that until the tournament. Remy Martin's been awesome. I mean, 20 points in the last game when Kansas wasn't really able to take over and uh, down low, David McCormick, for some reason, couldn't get his own against a crane team that really didn't have a center since Kalkbrenner got out. Remy Martin was able to step up when crane was hitting those threes. Remy was matching them. So yeah, he's really the X factor. 
Uh, we know Ochai Bogdi is going to do his thing. Christian Brown's been great all season long. But if you can get that extra point from Remy Martin, especially since Providence has really talented guards in Al Durham and Jared Bynum off the bench, um, I think if Remy Martin can be that guy, then Kansas should have no problem. But Providence, you know, every game they just find a way to win. So it's definitely scary, even though they obviously will be the underdogs. They've been the underdogs before, and they just always find a way to win. So Kansas and Kansas fans should not take their foot off the brake. And then finally in the East, we'll go through this pretty quickly here, two historic programs who are both maybe have a little bit of a question mark behind them right now. North Carolina, why are they an eight seed? Armando Baycott playing as well as he has. It, though him and Caleb Love have tended to get into foul trouble in this tournament, especially in the last game. And seeing what happened when a guy like Brady Manick was kicked out of the game, I mean, you can debate whether or not it was the right call to make it a flagrant to that elbow. Was it? Probably did it change the game and how the referees officiated the game and almost decide the game? Yes. That's another story that we'll get into later. Um, they play UCLA. I don't know what the status on Jaime Hawkes is um, because of that injury that he picked up late against St. Mary's, but going to be a hell of a game. And now it's a toss-up. Before the tournament started, I had UCLA and the Elite Eight against Purdue. I'm not sure that's going to happen now. Yeah, uh, like you said, it really comes down to Jaime Hawkins' health. Uh, he's obviously a huge player. Um, as for Carolina being underseeded, I don't necessarily agree. They barely made it into the tournament on its own. They didn't really have a quality win until they beat Duke. Um, obviously, looking back at now, they're in the Sweet 16. They just knocked off the one seed, so it's easy to say that they were underseeded, but I don't think that's the case. Anyway, going to the game. Yeah, it really depends on that. Uh, I think Baycott will be matched pretty well by Miles Johnson, Cody Riley. So it comes down to guard play again. Um, Johnny Juzang, Jules Bernard versus RJ Davis and Caleb Love. Who, who, Whichever of the two will be better, I think, wins the game. Obviously, Brady Manick will do his thing. Um, and then Hawkins. So I think these teams actually match up pretty well. They really have equal size, equal athletic ability. It just comes down to who's better on that day. And obviously, Hawkins' injury. I don't know who I'm going to pick, honestly. I think I have to wait till the Hawk has status before. Um, will it make a difference? Who knows? How good will he be? Who knows? Um, but either way, this should be probably the game of the uh, Sweet 16. One of the best names in college basketball as well, Jaime Hawkes. And Brady Manick, transfer of the year. Like, has to be. I think you can argue Oscar DeShibwe is. Hey, Oscar DeShibwe is not in the Sweet 16, is he? Fair enough. <laughs> All good points. Um, also, good names. Uh, we've had a request from a uh, CBB review, uh, you know, loyal uh, watcher that says that we should have a bracket of the best names in college basketball. Well, so, we did. A, we're doing a bracket on the best calls of the NCAA tournament, aren't we? I, I mean, that seems we, like we did that we for about do. like one day. It, it was like a one day bracket. OK, people. well, let's do that. Next, well, let's do that over the summer. Best yeah. college basketball names bracket. Let's do it. I, I like that. Mark it down. We're going to do it. We have to. Um, first off, this region, I was hoping it would happen. I called it the blue blood, the historic, whatever you want to call it, the region with Kentucky, Indiana, UCLA, and North Carolina. There was bound to be a matchup uh, for the ages, and I'm kind of glad it was this one um, because it's two teams that don't play in the Champions Classic. Obviously, Kentucky plays in the Champions Classic every year, and Indiana was a 12 seed. I think they're a year or two away from really getting back to uh, um, Hoosiers basketball as, you know, they'd like it to be. With that being said, I'm with Ariel again. I mean, this is such a toss-up matchup. I really don't know what to pick. I mean, UCLA's been playing great as anyone. West Coast basketball doesn't get enough love. Um, I made sure to stay up to watch that Pac-12 championship game, and I was just impressed by the way that UCLA played from start to finish. Regardless of the outcome for either team, Arizona and UCLA won my heart that day. I was like, all right, these teams are really good basketball teams that are not going to get eliminated in the first weekend. That held true, uh, although it was it was tough for both. They both did get tested in a, um, you know UCLA in the first round and Arizona in the second round. Um, and then North Carolina – I mean, we've mentioned it. It's clearly a team that, again, regardless if you think that the seeding was wrong, it's a team that still took care of business against the one seed. And, and you know, now we're like, okay, this North Carolina team is legit. At the very least, they deserve to be in the tournament um, because of that win. 
and they blew out Marquette. That was pretty surprising too. Um, so I guess with that, I'm saying, okay, North Carolina's playing pretty good ball right now. It's tough to pick against them. But again, UCLA is right there. They've done nothing where I should say, okay, this team doesn't – they're not good enough to beat North Carolina. Like, of course they're good enough. They just handled St. Mary's, who's a very experienced senior-led team. So, I don't know. I'm leaning towards North Carolina right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA wins, and I think both teams could make a Final Four run. It's that even. Well, we're going to save our last matchup until after this break because there's a special story behind it, and our special guest today will give us a little more insight on them as well. But first, this. Back here on the review, last matchup in the Sweet 16, not the last chronologically in terms of when it will be played, but last in terms of this podcast. Purdue, St. Peter's. St. Peter's, the Cinderella guys. The absolute darling. The fighting Shaheen Holloway's. There's there's no way he's still at St. Peter's after the season, right? Just no, just no way. Literally, I heard Rich Eisen say yesterday he's probably going to be the next coach of Seton Hall, and I never heard anybody mention Seton Hall basketball on a national radio show until yesterday. So, um, going to be a wild game. Win or lose, St. Peter's is going to have a strong. And I mean strong home court advantage, at least I would think, considering Philly's only two hours away from uh, Jersey City. But uh, Matt, you and I talked with our good friend, James Corrigan, a little bit earlier today, um, called game for St. Peter's for forever. He had quite a bit to say about the Peacocks of St. Peter's. Let's send it over to him right now. As advertised... And it's a shame you can't see him because he is literally a living legend. Some people call him Korgod. Other ones call him Jaime James. You know, it, it, there are so many nicknames for this man. He's a two-time Murrow Award winner, once at Fordham, once at Syracuse. He is now a reporter in Portland, Maine. I believe is the spot. He did a great stand-up for sledding on in snow. It was fantastic to watch. It's on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him at the at Real Corrigan on Twitter. Uh, former voice of the St. Peter's Peacocks. And who is that? Who who again? Say that name again. G- give me one second, please. I'm not done with your intro. I'm hyping you up. Shut up. Um, and you can't see it. His background on the Zoom that we're doing is. Formerly the Ayatelli Center, I think. Anatelli Center. Anatelli Center. Now renovated into the Run Baby Run Arena. He is our friend of the show. First appearance on The Review, not first appearance on a CBB Review platform. He is James Corrigan joining us on The Review. Uh, Yes, James, I I will say it again. The St. Peter's with diction, diction, peacocks. And you know them better than most people because you worked for them for quite a long time. And we were talking before we started recording here just about the massive level of Cinderella story this is. You think of the biggest upset as UMBC beating Virginia in a 16-1 matchup. But then you look at the sheer lack of resources compared to an SEC school like Kentucky that St. Peter's played. And the relative, again, lack of resources compared to, ironically, another Kentucky school in Murray State. And you're arguing this could be the greatest Cinderella run of all time in the NCAA tournament. There's no doubt about it that this is the greatest Cinderella story in the history of March Madness. You know, I'll give UMBC this. That, they, that upset you know, the significance of the 16 over the one will probably, you know, still probably stands atop. But for a, Saint, for a school like St. Peter's University to be in the Sweet 16, I remember walking into the Anatelli Center for the very first time. It was back in October of 2018. And, you know, I, I wasn't exactly sure at the time what I was getting getting myself into. I wasn't sure what kind of broadcasts they would they would have. I wasn't sure, you know, the, you know, what kind of team would be on the court. Uh, I knew they had a new coach whose name was a familiar one, but 
it was a culture shock for me. Uh, you know, I had been a broadcaster, or at least I was probably more accurately trying to impersonate a broadcaster uh, at the legendary WFUV radio station at Fordham University. Now, Fordham, in terms of men's basketball, they have an excellent women's program led by Stephanie Gately, but in terms of men's basketball, it's historically been a laughing stock. But, you know, I was able to enjoy, you know, a lot of some great amenities when it came to working in college basketball, you know, things like taking flights to games, you know, pregame spreads, uh, you know, postgame meals and, you know, you know, lengthy game notes and, uh, you know, general Wi-Fi, um, things like that. And, you know, it was a culture shock to me to come into St. Peter's and see not just not that, but the opposite of that, you know, take away all of the amenities and, and, you know, also most everything else, uh, you know, press conferences were a generous term because, you know, there was no press. Uh, it was me, you know, largely asking Shaheen Holloway uh, questions, you know, one-on-one, -on -one. you know, we'd have, you know, the, the, the press conferences took place in, in a, a side room in the basement, uh, which I don't even know what the other purpose of that, that room even was uh but you know it was just not it was you know i i i fell in love with the place of course and this and it's got and it, the improvements have been profound since as we've seen with the run baby run arena and everything that's come with it uh but you know, for a place like saint peter's in the heart of jersey city uh, a place that nobody had ever heard of before you know before outside of new jersey uh, a place that has the lowest endowment, I believe, of any school in the MAC, which is not exactly a wealthy you know, conference to begin with. It's to beat a school like Kentucky and then to go on to the Sweet 16 is is absolutely the greatest story that has been told in March. And we have not finished telling that story yet. James, I want to harp on a little bit of what you mentioned there. We both know Jersey. We're both uh, very familiar with uh with that area. For those who don't know, you know, it's pretty typical to see high schools, elementary schools, you know, that are very small. Like, you know, maybe they might not even, you know, you might run across it and you'll be like, oh, that's a school. But to see a college like St. Peter's that is literally, what is it, two streets in Jersey City, a D1 university taking down Kentucky. I did, you know, just, how big is it given that, that, I mean, it isn't even really like a real, I don't want to, you know, sound harsh at all, but you look at what the typical college campus is and someone were to look at St. Peter's and say, that's a college campus. Well, it's a city school. Well, it is a city school. Uh, so it's not entirely your typical college campus uh, to, to begin with. Uh, but it is, it is, it is very small. Uh, you know, it's been described as a commuter school. That would probably, probably be accurate. Uh, you know, our, our attendance, especially for, you know, obviously for the first two years pre-COVID, where, where there were the only three times I was there to gauge attendance, and attendance was uh, low. Uh, it was quite low. It was lowest in, in the MAC by a significant margin. Uh, and... It was, you know, but well, obviously now that the team, obviously this year it's been up uh, now that now that the, the reputation of the team has improved and uh, obviously playing against high profile opponents like Iona and Siena, uh, things like that. That's it. And, uh, and of course, the new the new renovations uh, to the yeah, now with the run baby run arena have have helped. But to bring, you know to bring players like the players that are at St. Peter's to bring them to a place like St. Peter's is the greatest is, is the most remarkable thing of all Shaheen Holloway. When he came to Jersey city, he inherited a program that had just suffered possibly the ultimate indignity 
of seeing its previous head coach, John Dunn, leave for another school in the same conference. And it's not, it wasn't exactly going from Vanderbilt to Kentucky, to Kentucky either. It was going to Marist, which, you know, was not exactly a, a, you know, a perennial contender in the conference. And St. Peter's, since John Dunn's arrival in Poughkeepsie, has only lost once to the Red Foxes in four years. Uh, so that tells you, you know, how that's, how that's gone. And Marist this season uh, fell in, fell quite hard in, uh, in, as the sixth seed to the 11th seed Quinnipiac in the MAC tournament. But that's what Shaheen Holloway was, was walking into. You know, he had a roster that, you know, had some good players on it. I, I think of some of the guys that laid the groundwork for, for this current team, guys like Devontae Turner, who was an all-conference guard, Samuel Ladeau, who was a skilled big man. Quinn Taylor was a do-it-all senior. Cameron Jones was a sharpshooter. But that team, his, his initial team had very little depth. Casey Nadefo was a freshman. He was so raw. Uh, you could see the potential, but it just was not clicking for him in that freshman year. Cameron Jones got hurt. You know, Devontae Turner was one of the national leaders in minutes per game, which is an amazing to think of now that you now that you know Shaheen Holloway's teams are now known for balancing their minutes and balancing the scoring. Uh, it was a tough. That was a tough. It was a tough start for him. And there were times I remember there were times where we would go into the room where we would have our, I'm using air quotes here, press conferences. And we would walk in and Shah would be, would be slumped down on one of the chairs in the room. And he would just, you know, you know, his tie would be loosened and we would have, it would be after a tough loss. We all, they had a lot of, they had a string of very tough losses that year at home. And, you know, it, I, it came to me then that this was just not a situation he, he had been in uh, previously, you know, he, he wasn't playing the style of basketball he wanted. He wasn't catching a lot of breaks and it was just, it was just tough on him. So the, those are the times that I think about when, now that, now that the world knows who St. Peter's is, and now that Shaheen Holloway is one of the biggest stars in the sports world, you know, it was, he, he turned it around in four years, but it was just, it was, it was, a, it was a grind, uh, to get there. This is the first time that St. Peter's has been back to the tournament in over a decade. They hadn't won a game up until this year in the tournament. They had had some success in the NIT. I, I looked this up while you were talking. Well, in um, fact, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just for uh, a brief point. In 2017, St. Peter's won the CIT uh, tournament. They won the whole thing. Yes, they did. They beat Texas A&M Corpus Christi, who was another tournament team this year in the championship. Uh, the NIT, uh, their relative success, their best finish, their fourth place in 68. They actually beat Marshall and Duke that year, albeit Duke before Coach K. That was the run baby run team uh, that the arena is now named after one of the benefactors uh, of the, the renovations, you know, wanted to honor that team. But uh, all that aside, though, first time in the tournament since 2011, you again telling me before we started this, you were down in Jersey for a wedding and you stop by the campus because, hey, old stomping grounds holds a place in your heart and you get to see the reception, the send off for this team as they're going to play Kentucky. And while everybody likes to say we're going to win, I don't. I can't imagine that there were that many people there who thought our team is going in to beat Kentucky tomorrow or the next day or wherever. What, but the vibe with these smaller schools is just different when they send a team off to the tournament, like, Hey, this is, this might be your one moment, but we're behind you all the way. It just explain that vibe, that atmosphere to us. It's a school of what, like 3000 or something like that. Right. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about the send-off was that, you know, we were looking for Shaheen Holloway and he wasn't there. And, and we were wondering why. And as it turned out, uh, as it was reported in the broadcast, that he had the food, that he had uh, had been dealing with about a food poisoning. Uh, so that, that, you know, 
that it certainly explained uh, his his absence from from the from the send off. But you know, you obviously you know St. Peter's students have have become you know invested in the team, especially as the year have gone on. You know, even in the MAC tournament, Atlantic City, but obviously not a lot of people believed. But I truly think that this team believed. They, they knew that, you know, they played a style of basketball that is not easy to, to prepare for. And I don't think Kentucky thought that they were going to deal with a team as physical and as relentless as St. Peter's. Would you say it's a style that you don't really see in college basketball anymore? Maybe a handful of teams play this sort of way well yeah because you don't get a lot of coaches like Shaheen Holloway who coaches hard as he does he likes to say that practice is the hard part and the games are the easy part for his players and he's exactly right I mean he has his his expectations for his players are so high I remember you know hearing him get on you know get on his players in a post-game speech uh, after a victory you know he was, you know, it, he, he, he's not um, somebody that is, is to be satisfied because he's, he's always somebody that sees more. He sees more and he's always seen that. And you saw it in his uh, mid-half interview in the Murray State game when he told, it, when he told uh, it was Jamie Erdahl that, that his team was playing like crap, even though they were winning the game at the time. Uh, against a great team in Murray State that had won 21 games in a row up to that point. So I, I truly think that they, they believed, and at, at the very least, after the first portion of that game, they knew uh, that they, they could guard these players and that, you know, they, they had a shot. So, you know, obviously the prognosticators, you know, Many of them had Kentucky in the final four, some in the national championship. I'm sure Kentucky thought the same things of themselves. And that's the trap that you fall into in March. James, we've seen the, uh, we've seen the quote. Um, I got guys from New Jersey and New York city. You think we're scared of anything. If you haven't seen it, it's on a billboard now. So you're going to see it. Um, It's obvious. It's obvious that, you know, Shaheen has done a tremendous job at St. Peter's, but I know we've all heard the rumors, but I want to take it from both sides. What do you think is next for Shaheen Holloway? And what do you think is next for St. Peter's if Holloway does what I assume you're going to say next? Well, he is obviously going to be the next head coach of the Seton Hall Pirates. Uh, You know, I think, I think everybody, I don't think anybody's stupid. I think everybody knows that. I think, I don't think anybody is exactly perturbed about that. Uh, Look, I mean, you know, this was always going to be, I think, his destiny uh, at some point to succeed uh, Kevin Willard as the head coach of the Pirates. And uh, Seton Hall fans, you know, are obviously very appreciative of all that Kevin Willard has done to bring Seton Hall back into the national limelight from the depths of the Bobby Gonzalez era, uh, an era that Matt, you did not live through, but I did. And it was not so hot. Uh, but, you know, now, with, with that being said, I think Seton Hall fans are over the moon uh, to, to get a man like Shaheen Holloway, who is, I think an elite college basketball coach in America. I think he, you know, what he has done, even be able to say, even if they had lost to Kentucky, you know, I would say that he is one of the elite college basketball coaches in America, because you take, you know, you bring guys into St. Peter's, whether the place that I had just described, and you bring in guys in one recruiting class, Shaheen Holloway brings in Aaron Estrada, who transferred and is now the CAA player of the year at Hofstra. He brings in Aaron Estrada, he brings in Daryl Banks the third from the Patrick School. He brings in Doug Eddard, a player who had just played in the Tournament of Champions final with Bergen Catholic. He brings in Matthew Lee, you know, the son of Butch Lee, the Marquette legend. He brings in Hassan and Fusini Drame, you know, two players from Mali that came from Arch Savior New American High School that ended up leading Mali to the 
U17 uh, World Championship, the U19 World Championship game, game against the United States. Uh, he brought in Casey Nadefo the year, the year before. Uh, obviously, we all have seen what he's been capable of, the three-time reigning MAC Defensive Player of the Year. He did all that in a year. You know, so, and this comes off of his time at Seton Hall when he recruited the, the likes of Isaiah Whitehead and Miles Powell and Jared Roden this year and, you know, was one of the best recruiters possibly in the entire, in the entire country uh, to bring those guys into South Orange. So the sky is the limit. There, are, there is no limit for what he can do at Seton Hall. And as for St. Peter's, I think the leader in the clubhouse, I've, I have no inside information on this, but uh, one would have to think that Grant Billmeyer uh, is, is the name that most people are watching and will watch as the St. Peter's job eventually uh, becomes open, uh, you know, St. Peter's athletic, St. Peter's athletic director, Rochelle Paul, uh, did come from Seton Hall, as did St. Peter's previous athletic director, Brian Felt, who is the current athletic director at Seton Hall. But I think it would make a lot of sense to keep it, you know, keep it in the family to have a bit of comfort, you know, between the coaching staff and the administration, you know, when, when Brian Felt took over at Seton Hall and Rochelle Paul came in, they were, the transition was absolutely seamless that's because of the rapport that they had had previously. So I think uh, that would be a, a transition that would make a, a lot of sense. Well, coming up here for St. Peter's, they have what would seem like a monumental task to any team. Of course, they've already gone through a monumental task in beating both Kentucky and Murray state. They take on Purdue who they have a lot of bigs. They have a lot of experience in the tournament and they have a week to prepare for Seton Hall, unlike well, for St. Peter's on, well, yes. Thank you for St. Peter's Seton Hall, St. Peter's. We've been saying it so much. They have a week to prepare for St. Peter's that Murray state didn't have knowing that. And knowing that later in the tournament, you don't overlook anybody. What does St. Peter's have to do to have a, a glimmer of hope in this game? Uh, this is going to sound simple. I'm going to be sounding like a coach here, but they just have to play St. Peter's basketball. They have to guard, you know, and shut down guys like Ivy, uh, who, you know, obviously was the hero for them against Texas uh, and every other point in the season. Uh, they need to guard. They need to hold Purdue to a low field goal percentage, just like they did to Murray State and they did to Kentucky. Uh, if you took Oscar Sheepway out of that game, for Kentucky, the, the Wildcats would have shot 33% from the floor. So that's what they have to do. And they have to hit shots from the outside, which is what the Big Ox have been built on all season long, even coming into the tournament. They were the number two three-point shooting team in the MAC, but the second to last team in scoring offense in the MAC. So that tells you a lot about where their points were coming from. And it's shown uh, obviously in the tournament with Doug Eddard, of course, the, uh, the new national darling, uh, Doug Eddard, who has swept the nation with his mustache. Best flow left in the tournament. His mustache and with his uh, tongue-waving ways and his also, of course, his cold-blooded ways. Uh, he had 20 points in the championship game against Monmouth in the MAC, and then followed up with 20 more against Kentucky and then hit uh, three of the biggest shots of the entire game against Murray State, you no. Know, so, hitting shots from the outside uh, with Eddard, with Banks, with Matt Lee, uh, is going to be crucial. Uh, and you know, Casey Nadefo, you know, the Peacocks survived him getting into foul trouble in the Kentucky game. Uh, they may not be able to survive that here against Purdue with the bigs that they have. And of course, as you mentioned, you know, nobody, you know, St. Peter's is not sneaking up on anybody anymore. Purdue knows just how good now St. Peter's is. And there's also a mindset uh, issue. I don't think it's too much of an issue with a, a Shaheen Holloway coach team, but you know, when you, when you're in practice and the governor of New Jersey walks in to your practice, you know, that yet gives you, which is what happened yesterday, that, you know, that, you know, that's a, a tremendous moment, of course, but 
you know, it, with all the noise, with all the cameras now, it's it's difficult to to. It could be difficult to focus on the task at hand, although I don't think that will be too much of a problem with a coach like Shaheen Holloway. But, you know, at the end of the day, they know they know the recipe. Matt's speechless. He's just dreaming about Shaheen Holloway wearing the blue and uh, well, he, the white of Seton Hall. He's wearing the Seton Hall shirt right now, well, too. Well, I'll say, well, I will say this about another thing about Shaheen Holloway, no coach, nobody, nobody connects with their players like Shaheen Holloway connects with his. I remember, you know, after the first year uh, in the press conference, following a heartbreaking loss in the MAC tournament to Iona in the quarterfinals, number one seed Iona, the Peacocks lost that game by one point. You know, Devontae Turner, who had only been with Shaheen Holloway for one season, and just talk about him uh, and, and just, you know, get emotional in talking about him. Shavar Reynolds did the same thing in his press conference following his loss with Monmouth to St. Peter's, just talking about how much Shaheen Holloway has helped him throughout, throughout his career. You, you see it with the way that they play the game, too. I remember Shah's second year. They had 11 players play double-digit minutes. You know, their leading scorer scored eight and a half points per game. You know, these, these things, and it was Estrada, who, you know, was, as we know, is a star now at Hofstra. You know, these are things that aren't normal. You don't see that in today's day and age. But they made these sacrifices because they bought in completely. You know, you've got guys like Casey, Medefo, Banks, Lee, Eddard, any one of those guys, the Hassan and Fusini Drame, any one of those guys could have transferred from St. Peter's. And Casey almost did. He almost did. But none of them did. And, and you know, thinking about St. Peter's, you know, everything that I have described uh, about the university and the fact that they played all of their games last season in a Division three gym while the Run Baby Run Arena was being renovated. They all stayed in an era where in a year where they didn't have to sit if they transferred. That is the power that Shaheen Holloway has. And one last example of this was in 2019, Matt, you will remember this, uh, when Seton Hall defeated Villanova on senior night at Prudential Center. Shah was there. And obviously, it was an amazing moment. It, it clinched Seton Hall's place in the NCAA tournament that year. You know, obviously, beating Villanova is, is a monumental achievement. And Shaw was, you know, uh, uh, was on the court after the game. And every player on Seton Hall came up to Shaw and started jumping with him in celebration. And that, that is the moment that when, when I saw that, I was like, I just said to myself, this guy is different and we're just seeing we are seeing right now just how different he is one of the lasting images of these past two games is always when the camera turns to Shaheen Holloway's wife and child and with any wife of a coach whether or not they're wearing a mask you can tell just by their eyes that they're trying to keep a straight face the entire time they're trying not to look worried they're trying to act preoccupied with an infant child. And then the buzzer sounds, the camera is back on them and you see the emotion flowing from them. And for them off the court, it hits right away because they're watching it from afar. Their blood's not pumping like a coach or like a player does. Like for a second, you have this split second of, what happened, and then the next 10 minutes is absolute pure joy and emotion. It Win or lose, come, I believe, it's Thursday. Friday. They, Friday they play. What do you expect from Shaheen Holloway and the players, again, win or lose, directly after the game and then in the press conference that follows? 
would obviously be a different. Re- it would obviously be a different reaction if they would lose, uh, rather than be victorious and move to the elite eight. Uh, you know, Shah. You you we've seen his interviews. We you know every time they cut to Shah on the sideline, it almost seems it seems like he's always smiling. Uh, he's always had this wry smile on on the sidelines. Uh, he's also very animated. Uh, this season, believe it or not, uh, Shaheen Holloway just said uh, not too long ago, it was uh, an interview with uh, you know, on the Field of 68 podcast with John Fanta, uh, you know, that he, he, he had he started to, to ease off a little bit on the animation this year. And, and it's not, and it's, you know, it, it was never always directed at the referees either. Uh, but he's just such an intense, an intense man. I think that yeah, that intensity is still there, but, you know, I think even he, you know, has appreciated how his team has played uh, over these past two games and going back to that in the MAC tournament as well. So I think, you know, win or lose, I think Shah, you know, understands just how special this has been. The governor of New Jersey isn't walking into St. Peter's University every day. You know, you're not going on the CBS evening news every day and, uh, you know, cameras on campus. You know, I remember the solo press conferences, you know, it was just me and him and a camera in a room. That was the press conference. And now you know, the world can't get enough of him. So uh, at some point it won't be, it won't be, it won't be during the preparation for this game. I can tell you that, but he will take a step back and realize that everything that he's accomplished is how special it has been. And, and it's changed and it's going to change the university forever. You know, the money that, and the attention that they are gaining right now is going to transform that school. And I, I can't wait to see what that transformation will be, even, you know, off the basketball court. Well, the transformation is coming, and we can't wait to see it either. They are America's darling, at least for 2022. Who knows how much longer it could last. That was James Corrigan. James, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We both miss you very much. Uh, For those of you listening, we all came from the same Syracuse University graduate class. So uh, we have tight ties here and we keep our friends close and our best friends closer. And James, we cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking to us today. Thank you. And uh, go Cox, strut up. Again, thanks to James Corrigan stopping by. Lovely guy. I love that guy. He is, he is one of a kind, Matt. That's, that's all I can say. He gave us his picks for the, Sweet 16 as well. We'll get to those in a moment. But uh, first, Ariel, what does St. Peter's have to do to keep this train rolling and be the first 15 seed, I think, to make the Elite Eight, right? Yes, first sweet, uh, first 15 seed ever. Oral Roberts made uh, Sweet 16. So close. They couldn't so make. close, man. Um, honestly, I think the obvious answer is saying stop Zach Eady with his size. But I think Casey Defo is able to do that. He's a great guy down low. The real one is contain Jaden Ivey. I mean, he's been awesome. He's the whole thing about Jaden Ivey is we know he can drive and we know he's freakish athleticism. But if we let him shoot threes, then that's a win for us. But now he's knocking down those threes. We saw him hit that dagger three against Texas last week. And in the first round, he get a couple early on. So how can we stop Jaden Ivey? Is that doubling him? Is that forcing him to drive and getting in the paint with Endefo and hoping that he can stop him? Um, I think that's the real key for them. I think also who's going to be that second guy. We saw what Burns did in the first round. I think that's, or maybe it's Banks. Sorry. Um, We saw what he did in the first round. He was really able to keep them in the game um, against a really good Kentucky team. Uh, Murray state, obviously really talented team, but they were able to have more of a balanced game instead of having that one guy take over, but Purdue's a much different team. Can Doug Eddard make those big shots again? So they flow left in the tournament, by the way, Mm -hmm. Doug Eddard, best stash left in the tournament as well. America's sweetheart this year. (laughs) (laughs) So I think they really have to play a perfect game. They played a perfect game against Kentucky. I'd say they played like a B plus game against Murray state, but that was enough. Um, But they're going to have to play that perfect game again. 
and I think they can. Are they going to win? I don't think so. I think there's only so many games you can beat, especially against a really good Purdue team, who even though they don't play defense, it's just so hard to stop them. Zach Eadie's really going to wear them down, Trevion Williams. Um, they've got Stefanovic, um, Ivy, obviously. they got Gillis, Hunter, just too many guys. And I don't think this will be close. I think it'll be 10, 15-point win for Purdue. There's just so much that St. Peter's can handle. First off, again, just hats off to the Peacocks. Uh, this one, you know, it obviously hits home just because of the Shaheen Holloway uh, story around it. Um, the coolest thing that I heard was on St. Patrick's Day, you know, St. Peter's beats Kentucky in, in the 15-2 upset. Um, and Shaheen Holloway, obviously the head coach. In 2000, Shaheen Holloway on St. Patrick's Day hit a buzzer beater for Seton Hall that helped Seton Hall eventually reach the Sweet 16. So that's two big-time St. Patrick's Day wins. Where did Shaheen Holloway go to high school? St. Patrick's in New Jersey. So maybe it's the luck of the Irish, the luck of St. Patrick's for Shaheen Holloway. He is born for St. Patrick's. So if there's any... Patrick, St. Patrick's products, whatever you want to call it, go play with Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall next season because uh, you might just make the Sweet 16, whatever seed you are. But regardless of all of that, um, it's been a great story. But I think the biggest thing here is there's a reason that there's a Cinderella that these low seeds end up making it to the Sweet 16. Um, Are they great teams? Yes, because they pull off the first upset. But it's very hard when you're playing them in the second round and you only have one day to prepare for a team that you likely weren't preparing for beforehand. If you're Murray State or San Francisco, sure, you know, you probably went over maybe just a little bit of St. Peter's stuff, but likely you're doing 80% of the team you're facing that day, maybe maybe 70%. So Murray State was saying, okay, we'll focus 70% on San Francisco, 25% on Kentucky because we got to be prepared in the event we do play them. And okay, let's just do a little bit of film and maybe just see who St. Peter's best player is. So then all of a sudden this upset happens and you're like, Oh shoot, we got like one day to prepare for this team. So I think that's why it's a little bit tough. These Cinderella's you've seen it before, obviously with Oral Roberts and Florida Gulf coast, you've seen it with other seed lines as well. And then plus St. Peter's took care of business against the two seed and you obviously get rewarded by facing a seven seed, and it just so happens that it's another mid-major. Um, not taking away anything there, because this Murray State team was legit. That is not taking away anything. It's just like you don't have to beat a two seed, and then you got to beat a one seed. you got to beat the two seed, and then you got to beat the seven seed. So helps out a little bit. Um, I just think that Purdue, though, having a whole week to prepare and having all the experience that they have that Kentucky didn't have, is going to help out a lot because Kentucky was a transfer-led team. Obviously, they've got the freshmen like usual. Purdue came into the country with one of – it might have even been the best, but I know for sure that it was top 10 in the country as far as returning production, and they were a top 25 team last season. So you look at what Purdue's done all season long, um, they really have looked all the part of that, and I don't think they're going to let this opportunity slip where they see, okay, we've got a team that we should beat. Let's go take care of business, and let's go to the elite. For sure. Well, coming up next, we'll make our picks in the Sweet 16, not the Elite Eight, because we're not going to even try to look that far. So, sorry. Um, We'll have James Corrigan's picks as well. I have them right next to me. But first, this. Just about to close up shop here on this midweek edition of the review. We reviewed last weekend. We've looked forward to this weekend. Now let's make our picks. I'll start with James Corrigan's. Uh, he told us Gonzaga, Villanova, Texas Tech, Houston, Kansas, UCLA, Miami, and obviously St. Peter's. Um, I'll go ahead and give you guys mine as well. I'll just run through them quick. I'm going to take Gonzaga and Duke. I will take Houston and Villanova. I will take Providence and Miami, and I will take Purdue and UCLA. We'll go to Ariel. Yeah, so starting in the West, I'm going to go with Gonzaga and Texas Tech. And then moving on to the East, I'm going to have North Carolina in the upset and Purdue. And then in the South, I'm going to go with Arizona, and I'm going to go with Michigan to pull up the major upset here. And then finally, I have to go with Kansas, obviously, and Miami to close out the Sweet 16. Got to pick, uh, got to pick the favorites there. I feel you um, 
you know, James going with St. Peter's, Ariel going with Kansas. You can't knock it, though. You cannot knock it. It's March. You Did you just call St. Peter's a favorite? I mean, favorite team in uh, James's, uh, you know, his, his Peacocks there. Um, <laughs> no, not the favorite. Um, I will uh, start in What's the West. What's the line on that game? Because you uh, know the saying, good teams win, great teams cover. It's 12 and a half, so not awful. Hey, St. Peter's, got to be a great team. I'll start in the West, though. I got Gonzaga and um, um, I got Duke. Um, in the South, I have Villanova and Arizona. Uh, moving on to the East, I will go with Purdue, and I'll stick with North Carolina. And in the Midwest, I got Kansas and Miami. So fairly chalky, so it probably won't happen. But, uh, you know, I did go with the, at least the North Carolina win, so. Yeah, going to be an interesting weekend. All right, uh, I will say, guys, we did this on the IG Live a couple days ago with Matt and Ethan Carboni. Uh, you're got to have it. Like, you're going to your grave with this pick. Um, one game, one game that you are saying 100% this will happen out of those picks you just made. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a boring one, but Purdue winning by 10 to 15. Um there's only so much madness that you can handle. And I don't think that we'll see our first 15 seed hit the elite eight this year. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to agree. Like I want to go and fix something else, but I really can't. And I obviously want to see the upset again. I mean, it's a great story and, you know, I mean, it'd be amazing, but you just can't realistically say that that's not the most obvious answer in this, uh, in this bracket, but Hey, that's, that's why they play the games. Well, I am going to call my shot, Jeds. Not once, but twice. I'm going to call my shot. Houston is going to beat Arizona by at least seven. And that'll be because of free throws at the end. And I will say Providence beats Kansas by at least five. Uh, Kansas has struggled. They struggled with a team that couldn't shoot the three, shooting the three really well. I'm pretty sure Providence is better at shooting the three than Creighton. So if Providence is hitting their threes, I think Kansas is going to have a really hard time of it. And they usually choke in the Sweet 16 anyway. So what's new, right? Anyway, that is all we got for you here today on the review. For more exclusive interviews, articles, takeaways from the games, tournament coverage, you can go to our website at cbbreview.com. You can follow our social media as well, also at cbbreview.com. Got a great comment. I love the glow up of your graphics. I don't remember who said that. Somebody said that on our page. And I agree. I do love the glow up that we have on our graphics. Uh, maybe we'll bring some more of that stuff next year. Give us suggestions, questions, trivia. You want to have us throw into these podcasts because we didn't have any today. Um, if you want to give your opinion on a team, someone that you think we should interview, feel free to send us that as well. as well. DM us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well, not Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the like. We love hearing from you guys, and we want to hear what you have to say about our content, about what you think we should cover, why you think the transition rule's dumb. But that's another podcast episode coming out that was recorded before this one. It's great to hear from you guys, and we love it, um, and we love college basketball, and we're only going to keep doing more. Um, anyway, for Ariel Putterman, for Matt Majinski, I'm Brendan Hodges. This has been The Review. Take care, guys. We'll see you later on. Thank you